you know, plants are not just widgets. They don't just grow on demand. You actually need people in these farms you know, willing the plant to come to life and, frankly, providing the love that goes into the, the food, and that's what makes it taste better. From Comcast, NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, head of Lift Labs, and today we're sitting down with Tobias Peggs, CEO of Square Roots Urban Growers. Hyper-local indoor farms spread across the boroughs of New York City and Grand Rapids. In this episode, Tobias chats with my colleague Luke Butler about how he plans to change the urban farming game across North America. You'll hear about the latest advancements in the food industry, advice on partnering with the right companies, and tips on scaling your company while making an impact on your community. We join Tobias and Luke now live at Lift Labs. We're joined today by Tobias Peggs, CEO and founder of Square Roots, a high-tech indoor farming company, a man who has built and sold a number of companies across a whole range of different industries and technologies. So we're really excited to have you here at Lift Labs, Tobias. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here today. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other industries that you've worked in and, and, and companies you've built, but starting with Square Roots, what, what led to Square Roots? Why was that the challenge that you decided that you were gonna you were gonna solve? Wow, and Square Roots is probably a fifteen year journey for me, I think. But uh, the idea with Square Roots is uh, we're really a reaction to the industrial food system, which is a fifteen trillion dollar global disaster. Right, uh, the food we, eat, especially in America is often shipped in from thousands of miles away. You've got no idea where that food has come from. Food that travels that far uh, has to be grown to travel, not grown for taste or nutrition. And so basically the food that we eat is very high calorie, but very low nutrient. And uh, surprise, surprise, you have obesity epidemics and diabetes problems in America. This is a massive, massive problem. So the way to solve that is figure out a way where every single person can eat local food. And that's a pretty big challenge, right? Because by 2050, we'll have about 10 billion people on the planet and 70% of them will live in cities in urban areas, right? So if you're going to get locally grown food to feed the world, you've got to figure out how to grow food where those people are. So grow food in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're you know kind of fighting against seasons, right? You want to be able to grow that food all year round. And so that led us, uh, myself and Kimball Musk, my co-founder, to sort of figure out a technology platform where we could grow food from all over the world, but do that indoors inside modular uh, farms that we can literally drop into the same zip code as the end consumer and grow amazing tasting food all year round and be able to deliver on that promise, right? To give urban consumers access to locally grown food 12 months a year. Yeah, and there's a, there's a workforce development component to this as well. Is it, you talk a, bit, a little bit about the training program that where you're, you're, you're building the next generation of farmers. Yeah, there is. Uh, Kimball is actually very good at this. So when, when we were coming up with the idea for Square Roots, you know, he asked two questions of me, right? He's like, sounds like a great idea to buy us, but A, you know, how does this feed the world, right? He thinks about scale. You know, it's not not very interesting for him to have one urban farm somewhere and, you know, you're kind of done. So we we sort of came up with a scalable platform to do that, to scale this thing globally. And then secondly, he said, okay, well, what is the impact on the world? You know, we're going to build a big business here, but can we 
you know, make a big social impact as well. And so that led us to, you know, really think about all aspects of the model and where we could make an impact. So one aspect are the farmers, right? You know, plants are not just widgets. They don't just grow on demand. You actually need people in these farms, you know, willing the plant to come to life and frankly, providing the love that goes into the, the food. And that's what makes it taste better. But in America, we have a problem sourcing farmers, right? The average age of a farmer in the US is 57 years old. So there is a demographic time bomb, actually, that's about to go off with our food system, which is like, who the hell is going to grow all the food in five years when those farmers retire, right? It's a big issue. So we thought of a way where we could provide a pathway for young people with no experience in agriculture, but a big passion about the food system. We provide a pathway for those folks to get started with farming. So we run something called the Next Gen Farmer Training Program. It's a 12-month program where young people come in you know, they might not even know how to grow a pot plant, right? But we can surround them with our hardware and software technology, our training, our team, and basically get them from having zero experience to being a competent farmer in about four weeks. And then over the 12 months that they're with us, they farm, we sell that food, that's how we make money. And in exchange for that farming, we also provide folks on the course with a very well-programmed curriculum in plant science, entrepreneurship frameworks, community building, and then at the end of their program, we help them with job placement. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, these people have arrived you know, on day zero, not knowing how to grow a pot plant, on day 365, they know how to grow food in these high-tech farms, they know all about entrepreneurship frameworks, they know all about plant science, they've learned the ins and outs of local food systems. Mm-hmm. They're in an incredible position now to have stellar careers in food. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about growing food as a business, but we're also growing the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders in the food space as we do it. You mentioned that uh, your co-founder, the goal here is to scale massively to feed the world. Talk about where we are in terms of that, that kind of broad lifetime of the technology that you're building, the approach that you're pursuing. I imagine that this is at the moment probably not the cheapest way to produce and grow and to buy the products that come out of this. So where are you in terms of the life cycle of this industry and, and how do you get to that kind of scale? Great question, actually, and, and, and it's a really fascinating thing to look at. Uh, I launched my first internet company in 1995. You know, I remember I was in a town called, a city called Cardiff in the UK, and I think there were like three people who knew what the internet was. And, you know, you'd go to an internet conference and there'd be this like crazy scientist guy in the corner with, you know, wacky hair and like even wackier ideas. And, you know, that was the internet then. Yeah, right? yeah. I grew up in a and, small town in northeast England. I think there were still three people who know what right. the internet is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, everyone there could like see that this thing was inevitable. You had no idea what the end form would look like, like, but you knew the world would be connected to the internet. And indoor farming right now is exactly like that, yeah. right? You know, you go to these conferences, there's this wacky scientist with some weird idea, and like everyone knows it's inevitable. Climate change alone means that outdoor farming is at huge risk, right? We have to figure out a way to grow food in a, in a different way, a more sustainable way. So like no one can really tell you what it's going to look like, but we know it's inevitable. That's kind of what, what, it, what it feels like today. Interestingly, actually, indoor farming or hydroponics, which is the sort of uh, technology that we use to grow the plants with no soil, which allows us to kind of build these indoor farms and put them anywhere we want, that was actually invented by NASA several decades ago. Mm. They were beginning to think about how to transport astronauts to Mars. 
and uh, they didn't want to burn fuel transporting five years worth of food on the way, right? Yeah. And they didn't want to burn fuel transporting the soil to grow food on the way. And so they actually came up with this hydroponic technique where you can grow food in a soilless medium, right? So the sort of underlying science and some of the hardware has been around for decades, but I think in the last sort of four or five years, you've seen big leaps in the cost reduction and the efficiency improvements in specifically the indoor lighting that is required to provide the plant with the energy that it then turns into biomass and grows. And then companies like ours have come along with really innovative ways of thinking about labor partnerships. We're partnered with a massive $16 billion food distribution company called Gordon Food Service. We're building farms on all of their distribution centers now across the uh, across North America. So I just think, you know, a combination of cost reduction and then innovative business models have really sort of turbocharged the industry in the last four or five years. Yeah. But it's still early, yeah. but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You're now building this company that has is doing very, very meaningful work, and, and and the potential for positive societal impact here is huge. You've also worked in ad tech, and you've worked in consumer search. And what is it that fundamentally motivates you as a as an entrepreneur and a founder? I mean, I think honestly, my early days. So my my degree was in civil engineering, and I spent one summer on a building site building a bridge. And I was like, this sucks. I never want to do civil engineering. And I went back to school and did uh, AI, which, you know, 1992, I think I made yeah. that decision. And people thought I was dropped down from Mars. No one understood why I was doing it. But, like, I kind of knew I wanted to do computer science. And one of the sort of lessons I, I got from there was um, who knows what the future is going to be like, but you do know things that are not interesting to you and what you don't want to do. And so what I actually did was just write a list down of stuff I didn't want to do. And then any opportunity that popped up that wasn't on that list, I just said, yeah, great, I'll do it. And so as a consequence, I really sort of meandered in the first 10 years of my career. You know, I was managing editor of a music and fashion magazine in London. And then I went to India and set up a software development shop, one of the first kind of outsourced software development shops. Um, I came to the US and did, uh, you know, search um, and like real kind of heavy engineering, big data, you know, machine learning stuff. But again, for me, these were all just like interesting opportunities that were not on my no list. And um, I just tackled them, right? Uh, I think over time, then you do start to think, uh, you know, great, I'm having fun. But now, maybe there's kind of an obligation, right, for you to do more than just have fun for yourself, right? How can you uh, make more of a a positive impact on the planet? And again, my co-founder, Kimball, was very, very early in thinking about double bottom line businesses. You know, how can you be good for profits, but also good for the planet and good for people? And I just think surrounding myself with people like that who are thinking very, very big thoughts, building incredibly large companies that also make a positive impact, you cannot help but be influenced by that. So you're here today to meet with the 11 companies in the the Lift Labs Techstars Accelerator. These are really early founders, early companies. They're they're gearing up to potentially raise a seed round at the end of this program. So incredibly early days for them. Based on your experience of building companies, what mistakes are they likely to make in the first couple of years of building? No, listen, you don't have to go back to the younger Tobias. (laughs) I'm not joking, right? You go to the current Tobias because... You, you always make mistakes. 
the key thing, and I think you know you probably experienced this coming from the UK to the US. You know, I think in the US, making mistakes is seen as a very, very fast way to learn how to do it better next time, right? I think when we grew up making mistakes in the UK, it was like, oh, yeah, that's a problem. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And it kind of like capped the ambition. What I love about the US is that kind of, you know, whole fail first mentality and that that's how you learn and you go fast. And so quite frankly, if you are not making mistakes, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. So I think the advice I would give young Tobias would be embrace that, Push yourself harder and faster and make those mistakes, but make sure your business is instrumented so that you're getting the data so that you can quantify what the hell is going on. And then if you can quantify those errors, you can then kind of very quickly course correct and navigate your way to um, the awesomeness that, uh, you know, is kind of in your mind of what this company you're building should eventually be. These founders are in an incredibly intensive program. The accelerator is intensive on its own, but the stage that they're at is all-consuming. And there's a kind of a culture around entrepreneurship and building companies of like giving everything to it and, you know, crushing it. And there's lots of kind of language which isn't probably helpful to the founders and their their own mental health and, and how they can support their teams and build their teams. What advice do you give to founders around those topics of how do they protect themselves in, in the long term and, and grow healthy teams as well as successful teams? Yeah, I could not agree more. There's so much BS out there and crushing it yeah. and, you know, got to work 24-7 and like, great, do that, do that for six months and then burn out and, you know, you'll see that is not really the way to grow a sustainable business, in in my opinion. You know, I talk about this for absolute hours, right? But I think the most important thing is as a founder, as a CEO of a company, it's your obligation to turn up and provide very clear direction to your employees that is motivating, create an environment for them where they're able to succeed beyond their wildest dreams. And, you know, you're doing all of that while making sure that your company, you know, is not running out of money and you're keeping your investors happy and the whole thing. There's a lot. And if you are not 100% present and healthy and you've got the stamina and the energy, then you cannot do that. You will do a terrible job at being that founder and that CEO. And then you're not helping yourself, you're not helping your employees, you're not helping your investors. So don't do that, right? So there are, you know, a number of tips and, you know, quick kind of tactical things, you know, eat healthy, right? If you go to a supermarket, just walk around the perimeter to all the refrigerated areas and eat fresh, healthy food. Don't go to the middle where all the processed crap is that's going to make you feel like shit, right? I would do things like don't drink on a school night right? Stay away from alcohol. I would regularly exercise. That doesn't mean you have to run an Ironman race every weekend. Maybe when you do your one-on-one meetings, go for a walk and talk. Just walk around the city for half a mile, right? Get the heart rate up. There are so many simple things that you can do in your day to just increase the level of healthiness, increase the sort of presence that that you have when you show up. And as I said, you really have an op. That is your job. Be present Make sure that you're alert enough to create the environment for everybody else you're working with to succeed. And if you're unable to do that because you're living an unhealthy life, you're being terribly unfair to everybody else that is, uh, you know, that, that you're dragging along in, in this business. Tobias, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's always nice to talk to another, another Brit. 
a podcast between two Brits who've lived in America for 15 years is ideas elevated should be accents muddled because I think we <laughs> both have that kind of like weird in betweeny kind of uh, kind of accent. I know the worst thing is when you go home now and your family says, "Man, do you sound American?" So I'm like, "No." I know, right? <laughs> My wife is even complaining that I'm losing the British accent, which is the one thing that she wanted when she she agreed to go oh, out with me. She was right. like, well, "That's your one asset. You can't lose that." Well, I tell you what, the sales in America for some reason people think um, you know a salesperson with a British accent is smart smarter than a salesperson yeah. with an American accent. I have no idea why, but I have that and I've tried <laughs> to build, keep it build as a long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tobias, thank you for joining us and thank you for, for meeting with our companies. I think not only the, uh, the experience you have building companies is tremendously valuable, but the perspective that you bring that we were just talking about, I think is something that is, is not talked about enough, not talked openly enough about, and they will find tremendously valuable. So thank you for joining us on Ideas Elevated. Thank you very much. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more information and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Angela Gervasi, editing and mixing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time. <laughs>